I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the EPL Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Jake Jackman, and um, I'm standing in for Kevin DeVries today. Uh, you can get us on the show at EPL Roundtable or EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Thomas Bach. I'm the editor of Wallpod.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, if you want to check us out before your team plays Wolves or you're a Wolves fan, you can get us to Wolfpod.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Wolfpod. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I'm here to talk about Burnley. I edit the No Near Never newsletter, which you can get at No Near Never Net on Twitter, I think. And I'm Jamie Smith Sport. Bit weird that Kev hasn't turned up when Spurs got hammered this weekend, isn't it? Weird, funny. Yeah, exactly. He's, he picks his uh, good times to go off. I think he's off again after the North London Derby in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure they'll uh, lose that somehow. And uh, yeah, you missed that. But. Um, yeah, moving into the topics for today, I thought I'd start off um, at the top of the table um, because I don't really want to talk about the bottom, but we'll start at the top. Um, and the top four currently um, is the top four that everybody thinks is going to end the season. So they've got there already um, in Manchester City, Manchester United, um, Liverpool and Chelsea. So, yeah, it's looking like the season is starting as if it's going to go on. Um, and I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the title race this season um, and whether you think that the arrivals of Ronaldo and Lukaku in particular are gonna gonna push the needle uh, for those two clubs, or do you still think that City are the favourites, or even do you think that Liverpool with their players back could uh, go on and win the league for the second time in in three years? Yeah, I think it's open for all four of those teams that you mentioned. They are they are the, the four. It will be one of them. Um, Man City. There's nothing else we you need to say about them. They're, they're going to play at a level. They're going to be too good. For 80% of the games, they're just going to, they're going to steamroll the teams and accumulate points and goals, no problem. Um, I think Liverpool are, are pretty much back to where they were. Um, I heard Gary Neville say that he felt there was something not quite right at Liverpool, um, but I think they're, they're, they're probably shaking off a bit of rust, some of their players, and getting that cohesion back, but they'll be right up there. And to answer your question, then, of course, you know, Man United will go up a level with Ronaldo, and not just Ronaldo, you know, Sancho and Varane um, in particular at the back. It will it will change them because they've taken out what was a weak link in Lindelof, and they've taken out what you know was a kind of a weak link in players like Martial getting a lot of minutes on the pitch for them. Players who I don't think have the consistency, um, so they've solved two two big problems there. Um, where I think Man United are going to come up short is, is in midfield, and I'm staggered that they. They didn't try to address that in the summer, or didn't, didn't. I wouldn't don't perceive that they really pushed the boat out to get that midfield that, that would make them what I would say put them on a, a par with those those other teams. Um, they were linked with Ruben Neves at Wolves, and I thought he would have been a good player for them. Um, and obviously Saul went to Chelsea, the player they've been linked with. So 
that that I think might come back to bite them because you know Wolves played Man United the other week and we we were straight through their midfield on so many occasions and a you know a better a side with better finishers would have probably put them to the sword. So I still think they've got problems to solve. Chelsea, you know, we knew they were going to be good this season because of what Tuchel was able to do in the second half of last season and and adding Lukaku to that. Again, for, for a weak link, in, in, you know, in Werner, who for all his attributes was clearly not going to get 20, 25 goals. You know, Lukaku is, is you know, in the top three best strikers in world football, probably. So to have him there, he'll make a huge difference. So Chelsea are already at the level with, with Liverpool and Man City. Man United, I just think that maybe just without having that, that power, that what they need in midfield, what I see is a, a good balance in there. I just think that's going to cost them, but um, you know, very hard to call right now. Um, but I, I do, I've got to say, I, I do really fancy Chelsea. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think United's problem is going to be in midfield. I think the team that they had out for this weekend's game against Newcastle, very sort of top-heavy, basically five attacking players and then five defensive players. So they don't really have. Um, a defensive midfield sort of thing. Pogba played in front of the defence in the end. You can maybe do that against Newcastle at home. Sorry, Jake, but maybe not in the, the games where you're going to have a bit more of a challenge. So be interesting to see how they fit everyone in. Um, and I hope it, it that Ronaldo coming in doesn't really act as a blocker for Mason Greenwood because I think he started the season really well. Looks like he's going to be one of the big talents for English football in the next few years. So Hopefully Greenwood will still get his minutes. Obviously Rashford's out in the minutes. There's a bit of a space there when Rashford's available, Greenwood's available, Cavani's available, Ronaldo's available, Sancho's available. They've got a lot of very, very good attacking players that they've got to fit in. Um, I think Chelsea are probably the main threat. Um, The weakness, obviously, last season was scoring goals. Uh, Timo Werner didn't really do it. Kai Havertz had a bit of a stop-start first season, had COVID, Coming in during the pandemic, I imagine, was incredibly difficult in terms of adaption and the new manager. So it's very difficult for Havertz in his first season as well as Werner coming from the Bundesliga. But um, they both seem to be a bit more settled now. And obviously they've signed Romelu Lukaku. If you sign someone who's going to pretty much guarantee 20 Premier League goals a season, that was the issue you had in your team. Chelsea have been quite settled apart from that. I think Sal's a good pickup as well from Atletico Madrid, even though he had quite a bad debut and got brought off at half time, I think. So I think he's a good signing in there as well. They seem to have good cover in a lot of positions as well. So injury suspension shouldn't affect them that much. Um, I've got to say, I was quite skeptical when Thomas Tuckle came in as coach because I, I didn't think he'd done that much. He's managed some big clubs and got big jobs on the back of it without ever having done a brilliant job and thought it was sort of par at Dortmund, par at PSG in difficult circumstances. Um, but in fairness, came in and won Champions League at Chelsea. So just goes to show what do I know? Um, yeah, I think it is a, it's a bit of a shame for me that it is such a clear top four already with respect to Brighton, who were doing very well at the start of the season. Um, I think a really good title race would be nice, but it is already sort of looking like those four will be the top four for the Champions League players. The Spurs were really, really poor this weekend, although they've got good wins at the start of the season under Nuno. It doesn't look like West Ham are going to push on particularly, although they've been okay. So I think it probably will be that top four. But I think City is still the team to beat. 
Um, I'm not sure Grealish was the player that they really needed. I think Kane would have made a bigger impact than Grealish. Grealish sort of similar to what they already had. But we know what Pep Guardiola was like with creative midfielders. He just wants all the creative midfielders. Bring them to me. Um, but they played most of last season without a central striker. Sterling can fill in there. Ferran Torres has done a decent job. I actually really like Gabriel Jesus. I think he's underrated by Guardiola. I'm not sure why he really doesn't trust him in the big game. So I think they've got enough options in there. The defence is going to be solid. Players like Kevin De Bruyne are a level above what most of the other teams have. So I think it is still City's title to lose, even though I think Liverpool will be a lot better now their players are back. Um, but yeah, ho- hoping for a really good title race because uh, the last couple of seasons have obviously not really provided that. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of what you both said. I think that um, Chelsea definitely look like the ones to beat at the moment. Um, for me, I just think that adding Lukaku and uh, just seeing their form since since Tuchel's come in, like I feel like it's a big enough um, sample size to say that they're probably that good, and it's not just a good run of form anymore. Um, especially when you think that they've beaten Manchester City, I think three or four times since he's come in, uh, and and in big matches as well. So they've clearly got that ability in the big matches. We saw it um, against Arsenal, although they're not the the best team. Uh, they completely dominated Arsenal in, earlier this season, and, the, and against Liverpool as well. I think that. The red card obviously changed the game massively, but even with 10 men, I thought they controlled the game to an extent, um, more so than you'd, you'd expect a, a team to with 10 men anyway. So I think that they just look so good at managing situations and managing games. I just, I just, it's difficult for me to to not see them. If they don't win the title, I think that if a team finishes above Chelsea this season, they will win the title. I, I definitely feel they're going to be in those top two spots. Um, Liverpool, the interesting one for me, because I think they played really well. Um, this season, they just look probably the most, and as as well as with Chelsea, probably the most balanced team there. I think that with City, there's there's still problems on the counter attack. I think we saw that against Tottenham on the opening day, and even yesterday, Leicester had a few chances going through. Harvey Barnes had a couple of good chances, and Vardy had the the offside goal. So they definitely seem to be vulnerable uh, to that. And I'm not sure if if Pep's it's, it's strange because Pep's picked the same team three weeks in a row now, but. I just don't feel like he, he still knows the, the right um, sort of combinations in defence and in midfield. He's sort of trying to find the best role for Grealish. I think he got moved to the other side of midfield yesterday with Bernardo playing, sort of switching the two midfield roles around. And you've obviously got Jesus playing um, as a winger, Ferran Torres playing as a striker. You've got Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden coming back in. So I think that's that's the only thing that, that puts some doubt in the city for me is that not sure he completely knows his best team. We obviously saw that in the Champions League final as well, the way he just um, changed his team for that and and it didn't really go great. So, um, yeah, that, that, I, it's probably for me those three teams. I just don't see Manchester United winning it. I think that adding Ronaldo, does, does, I guess it adds a, a headline to it and, and adds a bit of uh, intrigue to the, to the team. And obviously they're going to get all the good exposure that comes with that. Um, and they're going to be probably the most talked about club this season just for having Ronaldo. But um, yeah, I agree with what Thomas said about their their midfield and especially against counter attacking football. Like we Newcastle, we were bad yesterday. Um, like it wasn't the worst we we've played and, and been beaten, but we weren't great. But when we when we did get the ball, we did threaten. Uh, I think the goal showed that. I think Miguel Almiron sort of just strolled through their midfield uh, and set up the counter attack that led to the goal. There's a couple more uh, situations like that where we we nicked the ball. 
in midfield and actually get up to a shooting opportunity quite quickly. And a better team would have scored more. So I think that when we when we're going to see Manchester United come up against uh, Chelsea, especially they're quite good on the counter attack and Liverpool as well, that we're going to see them really uh, struggle against those sorts of teams. So I think that the fact they have Ronaldo means they're going to be flat track bullies and they're going to beat most of the bottom half quite comfortably. Um, just because they've got so many goals in their team, but in the tight matches and against the the rest of the the big clubs, I think they're going to struggle. But yeah, I think I, if I had to pick now, I'd probably pick uh, Chelsea. But it's it's definitely a it's definitely a tight one. I could definitely see either uh, City or Liverpool winning it. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good season ahead. And and as Jamie said, we haven't had a tight race or at least a proper one uh, for a while. We had that year with with City and Liverpool going down to the final day, but. Aside from that, there really hasn't been much at all. So, um, yeah, it would be good to see if, if all four clubs could sort of finish within 10 points of each other. That would be quite good. Um, and, yeah, moving on to the next topic. Uh, it's usually around this time of year. But a bad start can cause a man to lose his job. Um, I've got one in mind, obviously, but I'm slightly biased. But just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on who do you think is the manager most likely to be the first one to lose his job this season? Um, obviously, some obvious candidates. Uh, Mikel Arteta, despite the win this weekend. And... Um, Steve Bruce as well. There's a lot of uh, pressure from Newcastle fans, but um, and in Watford, um, if you're the manager, they're always under threat of being of being sacked. So yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the three that you you mentioned there are actually the only three I could conceivably see getting sacked because all the others are managers that have either got quite a lot of credit in the bank or they're meeting expectations. So it's very hard. It's only those three that you should look at. Arteta for me is is the is the main one because the reason managers get sacked is because they don't meet expectation, and the amount of money that again Arsenal have pumped into that team very poor recruitment in my opinion. I mean the the players those players might come back to you know bite me with these comments, but I just don't see. Ramsdale and Ben White is the, the, the kind of characters that they need to get into that changing room at Arsenal. I just, I just see them as two passive, sort of physically weak players. I don't, they might become good Premier League players, but I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see the appeal of, of, of White. Um, I've sort of watched him play quite a few times. You know, tidying up on the ball, but I just don't see fifty million pounds there. I, I, I just think it's crazy money. Um, you know, even in his first few games, they were talking about having to take him out and play someone else because he's not good enough in the air. And, you know, you can't accommodate a player if you pay £50 million for him. So I think Arsenal's recruitment hasn't really improved their team and hasn't solved the problems that, that they got there. Um, and I just think they're going to continually struggle against anyone that's not right at the bottom. I think in you know, any, any team that's got a bit about them, he's going to get amongst Arsenal. And the expectation will be the top six there, pushing for the top six hard um, and trying to even close that gap on the top four, probably, even though they know that's unrealistic. So I just I just think it's a matter of time for Arteta. It's just when, you know, he's going to get that other, the next run of three, four games where they don't get a win and he's not going to get the, you know, He's not going to get Norwich at home to save him as a, as, as a match where you, you've happened to win. So he's the one with the bullseye on his head. Um, I will comment a bit on Watford because, you know, we played them yesterday. Um, and again, they, they brought in a lot of players. They've got a lot of well-known um, 
Premier League players who've sort of been around a while now. Josh King up front, Sissoko in midfield, Rose at fullback. And I just feel that they're they're players that are sort of they've had their best years in the Premier League. And then they've coupled that with a lot of kind of inexperience at this level. And they did look at quite a disjointed side. And as we know at Watford, um, you're only three or four games away from being sacked regardless of where you are um, with that team. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a close race. Um, but, uh, but for me, I still think it will be Arteta who goes first. Yeah, I think um, Watford fans who are listening are probably chuntering away now about, it's a myth that they get rid of managers all the time, but I, they do get rid of managers all the time. Like Watford fans get really, really angry when people say this, but it, it's what? just they possibly get angry. It's just a fact. Well, they claim that some of them have been like out of their control. Like Billy McKinley, I think, was there for twelve days and then left of his own accord, which skews it somewhat. And someone else was there and decided to leave. like. There was one particular season where I think they had four managers and only one of them was sacked or something. So. They do kick off. So <laughs> Watford Twitter will probably come for you on the back of this podcast, I'll just warn you. But yeah, I fully agree. I think it's basically interim head coach at Watford at any one time, whoever's in charge. There's not really any point learning the name of the Watford manager because they're not really there very long. Um, I'm sure Jake will talk about Steve Bruce. A couple of extra things are on, on Arteta, and I agree with Thomas. I think it is a matter of time there. I think it almost boosts him, though, the amount of money that they did spend. They've kind of gone all in on Arteta this summer. They've got the biggest net spend in the league. I think more than £100 has gone on that squad. Um, And I agree that the recruitment has been shocking, really. Ben White, £50 is surely one of the worst deals in Premier League history. How is that a £50 player? Um, Ramsdale, I don't think, is better than... Then Leno, who's one of the most inconsistent goalkeepers in the league. I can't say I know much about Tommy Yasu, is it the new defender, but he doesn't look like the sort of elite defender that they needed. They had a good defensive record last season, so it wasn't even an area that they were particularly poor at. It's, it's further forward and creativity and goals that are the real issues for Arsenal. Um, I think there are positives with Arteta. He's clearly got a philosophy and he's got his idea about how he wants the team to play, but I'm not sure he's got the players to do it. And in the Premier League, it's really ruthless. Teams and managers will see that Arsenal are trying to play out from the back and they can't play out from the back, right? They just can't. The players aren't good enough and everyone knows that. So they're just going to get pressed out of the pitch every single game and they're not going to be able to cope with it because the players aren't good enough. So unless Arteta decides to be a bit more pragmatic or the players that he's got suddenly become magically able to play that style of football. Um, I think it is kind of a matter of time. Um, I think it is really interesting how Pep Guardiola talks about Arteta being this brilliant coach. Obviously, he had him there at Manchester City, but um, brilliant coaches don't always make brilliant managers. It's obviously a different skill set. Um, and I'm just not seeing it. I think Arsenal weak mentally in particular, that's been a problem for them for years and years. Back end of the Arsene Wenger era was really when that started, when they had these characters who you just sense that when things start going wrong, they're not going to turn it around. Um, in fairness, Arsenal did end last season really well, didn't they? They added a few results together, 
somehow finished eighth in the table, which was nuts considering how bad they were for most of the season. Um, but yeah, I just don't really see it see it working out there. And yeah, I think the three that you picked out, Jake, certainly the three front runners. I haven't looked at the betting odds or anything, but I would imagine they're the three favourites. Situation at Newcastle is a bit strange because surely one of the reasons Steve Bruce got that job was because not that many other people would have been desperate to take it. Steve Bruce wasn't going to get many other Premier League offers, if any. Um, and my view would have been that he would have expected to just accept the situation, that there wasn't a lot of money to spend, that this is how it is until there is a takeover, if there is a takeover. Um, but he's been critical of Mike Ashley after this transfer window, and Mike Ashley basically slapped him back down with that ridiculous statement. So I, I thought Bruce was almost bulletproof, and apparently he's got this three-year contract, which, again, seems completely unnecessary because it's Steve Bruce who's going to try and poach Steve Bruce. Um, but, yeah, from, from someone who I thought was going to be there until there were new owners, Jake, it looks like that situation's getting a bit more sticky for him. Yeah, it has done. And and I would, I would, you know, probably before the end of the transfer window, I'd have thought that Steve Bruce was here, come what may. I think the last season away to Brighton, I think when, when we, I think we lost 3 0, it was, it was sort of portrayed as a big relegation clash. And the way he sort of stood there, pretty helpless on the touchline, it looked like at any other club that would be the time to get rid of him. And he didn't, he didn't go then. Uh, they kept him, and, and obviously it got better. Which is which doesn't happen very often. Normally, it doesn't get better, but it did. Um, we finished the season well, so uh, that sort of looked like it was a, a good decision in the end, I guess. But um, yeah, recently his quotes, he, he he's just really quite. He just seems very angry in all his press conferences now. He, he's, I think, at the weekend he was taken out in the local media saying it's it's their fault for for the way fans think about him, which which isn't true. I can I can imagine most fans don't really um base their opinion i mean some might but i think the i don't think that's the main reason you've got some don't like steve bruce and i think he, he's probably intelligent enough to know that as well just seems like he's um he's, he's getting tired of the job as well i don't really think he wants it. i think he wants his payoff now i think he's had enough he's tried to come in and improve the team i guess that he would think that uh, and try he, he probably thought that he could get mike ashley to spend money he's probably the, the one that has got mike ashley to spend the most money i think that um other managers haven't done, but he does seem to, he, he did seem to be the Ashley whisperer for a little bit. Um, but yeah, he didn't get what he wanted. I think he wanted a couple of loans on deadline day. And then the, the, the club came out and said that everybody knew what the situation was, which did seem like a veiled dig at Steve Bruce. He came out and didn't really back, he backed down to an extent, but he, still, he was still a bit prickly before the Manchester United game. And then it, it's gone on to criticise the fans, the media afterwards. It does, I think, on Friday night, if if Leeds score the first goal, it's going to get pretty pretty poisonous at St James Park. I think it's going to be a lot of anti-Bruce stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm, after what he said about Ashley, Ashley's quite a he's, he's an arrogant man. He doesn't like people standing up to him. That's why I mean it was never going to work with him and Rafa, but eventually that's what that's what did for it. He just got tired of it, and now that Bruce has started to sort of put a bit of bit of focus his way, if the fans do turn, he he might just decide enough enough um and, and make that change uh, if it doesn't happen it does if, if we lose these it doesn't happen i think it's a matter of time now um and it might even be him walking away because he really doesn't look like he's enjoying it <laughs> like not he, he was quite a positive 
person in press conferences before, but now he just seems like he's got no time for it. So yeah, I can see it happening soon. The thing with Bruce and Newcastle, and I think actually all the games being behind closed doors was probably quite good for Bruce that he didn't have that angry fan base shouting at him or throwing cabbages at him like the Villa fans were. But if Newcastle did get rid of Steve Bruce, it's not going to change anything. Like, there's still no money for players. It's still the same squad that scrambled to a 12th place finish. So I understand fans not being enthused about Steve Bruce being the manager because he's pretty average at best. But no one else is going to come in and have a magic wand that turns John Joe Shelby into a decent Premier League midfielder, for example. It's, it's the same team with the two lads up front who've got all the talent in that squad. Nothing's going to be different. No, no, I, I agree. I don't think it's going to get much better. But I think that I think Bruce has got to the point where he's now being a negative influence. Like him being there is, is negative, and purely the fact of him not being there and and not having all the criticism that goes his way, it's it just it's just a negative atmosphere. I think taking him out of it now would, would be a would be a net positive for the team, even if the players, as you say, we don't have the most gifted squad. We've got some good players, but I also think that our squad is. Should should be staying up in the Premier League quite and should be doing better than they are now. I think we've conceded like twelve goals now. We 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 just look so open, and I think that our defense is pretty bad. But I also think that a a better coach could get more out of it. And I know we're not going to get we're not going to get a a great coach in. We're going to be you know more of the same. Um, but you know I I think that even if by taking Steve Bruce out and letting I don't, I don't know Graham Jones. He's uh, people like him. He, they people giving him way way too much praise and what he deserves. But even just taking Bruce out and having him there for a little bit, I think would improve performances somewhat. I just think that him being there is now negative. But you know, it, it at the end of the day, Steve Bruce isn't the problem. We're gonna be this. We're gonna be in this situation until there's a takeover, and whether that comes you know, in the next year or in the next three years, that's until that happens. It's, it's rinse and repeat, as Alan Shearer suggested on match today. It's the same. It, Steve Reese isn't the problem, but I can see why people want him to go. And I think that him going would probably be, as I said, a net positive. But we'll move on. Um, we'll move on. I've had enough Newcastle for, for now. We'll move on to what has been quite a big topic this week, um, purely because Cristiano Ronaldo came back to the Premier League. Um, and that's the the 3pm blackout. I saw Jamie tweeting a bit about it in the week as well. So it'll be interesting to get those thoughts on the podcast. But... Um, yeah, it's interesting that, that this has come up. I do agree with a lot of the comments saying that um, the only way to watch certain matches is to, to you know, travel and watch it in person. Um, there should be other ways to watch it. But then you also have to think about protecting the EFL, protecting non-league football. Um, and yeah, I guess protecting the broadcast as well. So it's, it's an interesting issue. And it's an issue that doesn't come up anywhere else in Europe. I think we're the only country that has it because we play all the matches at three o'clock, whereas I think the German lower leagues play at different times to the Bundesliga and it's all sort of split out in a in a better way. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on the on the blackout and whether you think that we're coming to the point now where there needs to be a, a change in that regulation. With, and 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 do you have any ideas what what could potentially be a, a better way forward? I think uh, quite simple for me, twenty twenty one, the fact that I can't legally <laughs> watch uh, Wolves player Watford yesterday, you know, disregarding all the Ronaldo who are, uh, it is ridiculous. The fact that I can't pay 10 quid, 15 quid, whatever, to, to just say I want to watch that on the television is absolutely bananas. And I, I, whatever the noble reasons are for keeping it in place and having it set up and 
I just think it's it's just ridiculous in this day and age that with all the technology that's available. And, and, and the thing is as well, the people who really want to watch it are watching it anyway. You know, we don't need to be, you know, I don't think you get into trouble on this podcast is by saying that people stream these matches anyway. So it, it, I just don't see that it's, it's fulfilling any purpose at all. Um, so as for what they can do to change it, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand the the red tape and um, and what would need to happen. I suppose there'd need to be some kind of major agree. Where, where, where did it actually come handy down from, the fact that we've got this? Is this like uh, the English Football League agreement with the Premier League? Is it? I, don't, I don't know who who controls it and makes it so that this is the case. I can actually answer that. So all the leagues in Europe have the same option to do this. So I think it's a European football thing, maybe even from, from UEFA. But every top league basically sets aside two and a half hour period where there can't be any matches broadcast. The only reason it's an issue for the Premier League is like Jake said, the other European leagues tend to stagger their leagues. So Bundesliga 2 doesn't play at the same time as Bundesliga. Every La Liga game throughout the weekend kicks off at a different time. So there's only really English football that has this sacrosanct kickoff time, Saturday at three o'clock, which is throughout the pyramid. How is it protecting lower league teams through not allowing me to watch Wolves versus Watford on my TV? What's it doing? What are they gaining from it? Oh, what I'm, I'm saying is, it, is there a, is there a feeling that if I'm not going to watch Wolves versus Watford, I'll go and watch Sully Hall Motors play in the lower league? Is that the yeah, I mean, I think me and you are probably in the same boat in that if we don't go and watch our team, we're not going to go and watch a non-league team unless like it's a day out with mates or something. It's not something that I would typically do. I think the, the main argument for it is that if you've got Man United playing at three o'clock and Ronaldo's playing as he was this weekend, then our sort of casual floating fans of lower league teams, they're going to think, do I want to pay 20 quid and go and stand on a terrace, get wet in December, or should I just get some cans in, get the mates round, sit on the sofa, watch the football on the TV? So I think that's the counter-argument. Um, I, I do kind of agree. I think the example I was talking about on Twitter was, say, Newcastle playing Southampton um, at Southampton on Saturday at three o'clock. If you're a Newcastle fan who wants to watch that game, you have to go to it, which is eight hours each way. So it's basically your whole weekend is to go to a football match where Newcastle might well be absolutely terrible. So you've lost all those hours where you could be doing anything else. Um, There's a few things that I want to point out on top of what Tom... And I agree with Thomas. I think if Burnley playing at three o'clock, I should be able to pay to watch it. but there was a really interesting thread that I read by a, a guy called Dale Johnson who works for ESPN. And he, his the crux of his argument was basically, if you change this, you can't then put the genie back in the bottle. Once you get rid of the blackout and say, put football on TV whenever you want, it's going to be very difficult to ever go back and say, well, actually, we didn't like the impact that this had. So we're just going to like shift it back. Once you say to people, you can watch TV, watch football on TV at three o'clock on Saturday, that's it forever. Um, but the thing is, we've had a taste of that. 
Um, Americans who are listening probably think it's bizarre anyway because they've always been able to watch all the Premier League. The fact that we can't in the UK is obviously very strange. But during the pandemic, it was different because all the grounds were closed. Games were all behind closed doors, as it was with the NFL and other sports around the world. So the TV deals changed and we had all the matches on TV with staggered kickoff times as it is, like I said, in La Liga. So Premier League games didn't overlap apart from the odd one. Um, And if you wanted to and you had all of the relevant subscriptions that you need these days, you could watch every single Premier League game. I think people got used to that. Um, Obviously, it's been a bigger issue this week because it was Ronaldo coming back and Man United, Newcastle is normally the sort of game where you'd probably expect it to be on TV anyway. Um, But I think it was also just an international break and a, a way to have content that filled the gap between no club football um i'm not sure where i stand on it i i think i was in favor of getting rid of the blackout but i read this thread by dale johnson and he was basically saying you can't change it football league clubs are really against sorry what i meant to say is you can't change it and then change it back if you change it that's it for keeps football league clubs are very keen to keep it because they are terrified that if there's premier league on tv at three o'clock, their attendance is going to plummet. And at that level, unlike in the Premier League, their revenues are so reliant on match day income. That's why they've struggled so badly for the last two years. If their crowds went down by 10, 20%, that's devastating for them. Um, and it is the sort of casual floating fans, not the fans who've got season tickets who are going to turn up every week anyway. People who decide week by week, maybe on the day, what's the weather like? Do we fancy it? Um, so I think it's tricky. I think I've thought for a while that a sort of middle ground would be if clubs were able to sell their own games. So if the game wasn't on Sky or BT or any of the big TV companies, but if you could buy a subscription to your club's games, I think that's different to Man United v Chelsea's on TV at three o'clock on a Saturday. So maybe that's something that they can explore, but. I think with the TV rights deals being as big as they are, I think the chances of them being changed are quite remote anyway. I think this was really just something for everyone to talk about for two weeks while there was no Barclays. Yeah, I think so too. I think that it, people were definitely, it was just something to talk about. And I think the fact it was Ronaldo has just made it even more, um, I don't know, brought it to the fore. It is quite, it is quite ironic because, I don't know, um, probably... 20, 25, 30 of Manchester United matches are on TV, um, every, you know, on Sky or BT or Amazon or whatever it may be. Um, it's just quite funny that this one match wasn't, and it was uh, Ronaldo's return. So yeah, I found that quite funny. But I, I agree that at some point, you know, the Premier League are going to have to go forward and create their own streaming service. I know um, other sports have done it um, quite successfully. And I think the Premier League... It's so successful now. I can't see how a sh- their own streaming service wouldn't be a success. But, um, but then you'll get, you know, you'll open the can of worms on, on how much is distributed to each team, like uh, Jamie just said about um, clubs selling their own rights, which, you know, um, that would be a good way forward. But somebody, I don't know, teams like Brentford um, and Watford would, would have a, a lot more matches to sell than Manchester United, where most of the matches are on TV. So I don't know if that would be a... Um, something that 
clubs would bring forward. You know, Manchester United wanted to maximise their their revenue and, and then having less matches on Sky. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to change. You know, football's it is quite slow to change things like this in such a big way. Um, but yeah, it 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 was talked about for a couple of weeks. It's probably now going to go away because we're going to see Ronaldo on Sky and BT every week, so it's not going to be as much of an issue. But yeah, it's, it's definitely something that is uh, gonna gonna continue to rumble on in, in some form or another. And I'm sure in another six to twelve months, we'll be back on this podcast talking about you know a Netflix for the Premier League because that does seem to come around all the time. But um... hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Moving into to questions for our guests now, we'll start with Thomas. Obviously, a great win for Wolves. They they were one of the the only teams to pick up no points from their first three matches, um, and they, they managed to get that win. They'd obviously played very well in a lot of lot of games, created a lot of chances against Manchester United. Uh, played well against Tottenham as well. So I guess Thomas, the main thing is is relief now to get those three points on the board. And uh, do, do you think that now Wolves are going to push on? They've got an easier run. And do you think that that Wolves will now push on under Bruno Large and that what is happening is quite sustainable and that you can already see an improvement, especially in the style of play, and maybe that's going to take you forward uh, in the table as well. Yes, I'd agree with all that. I think the next three games, well, I said before the Watford game, these four games, because we've got, we've obviously played Watford and we've got Brentford at home and Newcastle and Southampton, I think, in the sequence. Um, So those four games were always going to be the ones that would tell us where we're going to be. We were, as you say, very unlucky against Man United. Well, I say unlucky, we didn't take our chances, so there's no you know, bad fortune about it. We didn't even finish the actions, but the overall performance was good. You know, I don't you know, the statisticians like the fact that we're, you know, our XG has been significantly up. We, 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 it was a stat we were always losing on XG uh, last season. We've won all four games on XG, and considering we played Leicester, Tottenham, and Man United, that's a pretty reasonable achievements um so we the stats and you know what i see with my own two eyes is that we're playing well style is that much better now um incidentally quite funny to, to see tottenham play at Palace yesterday because that was such a new no performance in the sense that it was so defensive minded um and and you know when walls played well that's kind of how it how it was you know that lack of ambition whereas under Bruno Large, we really have gone gone after teams. And um, although we, we didn't get the results until yesterday, it's been four quite consistent performances. Um, and what I'd say is if they keep the performance levels up that we've seen so far, um, I think we'll be, we'll be comfortably in mid-table. 
uh, come the end of the season, but it's 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 still too early to, to really say for definite. But I do like our squad on paper. I think we've got better players than at least seven or eight teams in the in the Premier League. So it's up to Bruno Lodge to get to get these performances out of the team. Um, and uh, so far, so far, so good, really. Um, but, but but we'll see. I think in another two or three weeks, I feel a lot more confident about about saying where I think this season will go. But um, but I'm, I feel good now going into that Brentford game with a with a win and a couple of goals and a clean sheet in the back. Yes, yeah, there's definitely a lot of positive signs um, from the first four matches. Um, I just wanted to to ask you about Raúl Jiménez. Um, obviously, back from his uh, horrendous head injury last season, played in all four of the matches. Um, still looked. From what I've seen, I still thought he's looked quite good. But um, from I just wanted to get your thoughts on him, and and do you think that he is, you know, getting back to the level he was at, and do you think that um, you know, he will start to score goals pretty soon, um, or do you think that there's still some lasting impacts from the head injury uh, in his game? I think there's, I think there's mental um, issues in in you know, in the sense that I don't feel that he's throwing himself in into crosses in the penalty area and attacking aerial balls like he, he was before. And obviously that is completely understandable given what given what happened to him. His all-around link-up play is, is excellent. Um, he's, a, he's a real presence up there. We obviously had Fabio Silva playing way too many games last season. Um, and, 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 you know, he looked so isolated and, and not, not really ready for the physical challenges of Premier League football. So Raul is is he's given us that focal point. You know, the ball goes into him, lots of neat layoffs, lots of interesting angles and and, and um, movements, and and he's he's getting the chances. He, he had a header that he should have buried yesterday. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, you've probably seen the you know the head the head thing that he's wearing, like the Petacek kind of um, you know headband. And it just you just wonder whether that is actually affecting him and his ability to head the ball because he had a diving header yesterday and he, he really you expect him to hit the target back it's all ballooned off that that headband so i don't know i don't know if there's something there um you know with that but i i still i still seen enough in his all-round play to believe that he's he's gonna he's gonna come good i, I don't think he'll probably quite reach the level he was pre-injury um but he's past 30 now and you know he's would be slowed down anyway, but you know, we yeah, I still think he'll get ten goals, ten goals probably at least this season because he's still getting into positions, he still looks nice and sharp. And also he's gonna benefit from the way Wolves are playing. We're, we're playing ten yards further forward up the pitch. Neves and Matinho are, are getting into more advanced positions and feeding nice little balls through the lines. And I think a front three of Trincao and Traore and Jimenez with Daniel Pedence to come off the bench is is enough. To mean that he, he's going to get chances, and if he gets chances, uh, particularly ones that aren't on his head, <laughs> I think he'll, I think he'll still, um, you know, get enough goals to, to, to be an important player for us. Yeah, I, and moving on to to Burnley now, um, Jamie. Obviously, you haven't played this weekend, um, but I just wanted to ask your thoughts on uh, Connor Roberts. I was quite interested in the fact that you signed him. Uh, I thought that Matt Lawson was pretty firm as as the right back and. Uh, Phil Bardley seems to have played Premier League football for 20 years. It seems strange he's not going to be a backup now. He probably shouldn't be a backup anymore, but um, it's good that he got the, the right back in. Do you think that Conor Roberts is going to play or, or how do you think he's going to sort of come into the team? Do you think that Dyche is going to slowly bring him in? Because from what I've read at, at Swansea, he's more of a wing back and maybe defensively he's not 
as good as as what you need to be in a dice team. So I mean, it, it's, that's probably the the transfer you made that really caught my eye. So I'm interested to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I think um, that seems to be the consensus. I was talking to Guto, who's been on the show representing Swansea when they were in the Premier League. Sorry, Swansea fans. Um, and that seems to be exactly exactly what he said, that he's more of a wing-back. Um, so I think it will probably take him a bit of time to win that spot. Um, the thing with both the full-backs that you mentioned, Lighton and Bardsley, they're both the wrong side of 30. Bardsley's nearly 40, probably. We really shouldn't have got a deal this summer. Um, and I think he's in the last year. Lighton, I think, is also in his last year. So right-back for me has been... Um, a bit of a weak spot in our squad for a while. Those two have done an okay job, but I think if you look at our strongest 11 on paper, right back is probably the area where you'd say, yeah, that'd be the first one to upgrade. Um, So Robert, he seems also to be someone that we've had our eye on for a while. Sounds like we've got him on the cheap, really, because he wasn't going to sign a new deal. He's injured at the moment. He's got this groin injury that he's working his way back from. So... Um, I think Swansea were in a position where I think they had a couple of other players in a similar spot where they had to either accept that they could get some money for him now or stay out the season, try and get promoted, but risk losing him for nothing. So it sounded like a good deal at sort of two and a half million, which is nothing really for a Premier League player now. Um, And he sounds exciting, yeah. What I really liked was his his first interview. He talked about... um, how he might not always be the most talented player, but he will always work harder. Um, and Burnley fans, it's a bit of a cliche, I like to laugh at it, is it? They love a runner. Like Someone who runs all day, Burnley fans are always going to get on board with that. And Robert sounds like the sort of character he's always going to give absolutely everything for the shirt, laid all out on the line. Um, but I think it's quite interesting that he's so attacking and that he's played wing-back. Burnley quite wedded to playing a, a flat back four very very rarely have we done anything else under Dyche in his eight nine years at the club so Roberts is going to have to learn how to play right back in a four how to make sure he doesn't leave gaps in behind um but I think there's there's good omens there the the player I would hope that I can compare him to is is Kieran Trippier when Dyche came to the club Trippier was already here but he was a very very attacking player almost played as a winger at times, constantly bomb on, deliver fantastic crosses. And it was a real asset for the team, um, apart from if we lost the ball and then Trippier wasn't in defence and we were short at the back and would concede. And the first thing Dash did with Trippier was basically stopped him going over the halfway line. Um, and for a few weeks, even months, Burnley fans were like, why have we got this incredible right back whose strength is crossing and we're telling him not to do that. And it's because Dash wanted him to get the defensive side right first. So I would expect him to do exactly the same with Roberts. Um, I think we've got a cup game at home to Rochdale coming up. It seems to be the one that he could be fit for, so he'll probably play in that one. There's a couple of other lads in the squad that haven't played much in the league yet, so a cup run would be really useful for us this season to get those fringe players involved. Roberts can be fit for that one. That would be good. Um, I suspect it'll be a bit of a split share at right back the season. We might see Roberts play home games where we're going to be on the front foot a bit more. And then if we're away, I'm going to need to do a lot of defending and Lighton might play instead. Um, 
but it certainly seems to be someone who's going to play a lot of games for us and hopefully be our our starting right back for for many years to come. I'm really really happy with it. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a bit more about um, the ownership as a whole because it's strange that I've seen so much criticism of the of the new owners. It's something that that in the wide uh, wide stream media does definitely seem to be the case that there's a lot of doubts about um, you know how they bought the club. Um, and then when there were many new signings up until deadline day, they were sort of criticised for for not investing, and there was talk about that Dyche might might leave because as a result of it, which was you know that was the constant rumour under the, the previous owners as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, to, so to bring in the players that you brought in, I, th- I think that they probably brought Burnley brought in two players that improved their starting eleven. Whether that be now or in six months, it, that's probably the case. Um, and Collins less so, but. I guess if Tarkovsky leaves in a year's time, he might be the one to come in. So, um, it, what, what's the sort of general mood from the fans about the new owners? Is there sort of, I guess, optimism again now after some initial scepticism, or do you think there's still that ongoing scepticism? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, the last time I was on the show, I was talking to Kevin about this, and I, I was really skeptical at that point because the new chairman, American chap, who's coming to football in this country for the first time. He, been linked with buying other clubs apparently they were close to doing something at Sheffield United and that didn't work out um and the list of foreign owners who've come in and ruined clubs is as long as your arm so there was obviously a bit of concern at Burnley because we were one of the few clubs left in the Premier League that were owned by fans of the club the downside obviously was that compared to other owners they were very very poor (laughs) so it's, it's difficult to get everything from an owner um and I felt that the things that Alan Pace, the chairman, was saying were great and the things that he was doing were bad. I felt there was a real gap in between the promises he'd made and what he delivered. But, hands up, the last week of the transfer window was a big success. I feel like deals for Roberts um, and Maxwell Corney is coming from Ligue 1 really makes a difference and moves the needle. We wanted these players who were going to come in and improve the eleven, like you say, those two do, whether it's straight away or the end of this season or two, three years from now. We've brought in players of a good young age. Nathan Collins is someone who could be a defensive partner for Ben Mee for three, four, five seasons when Tarkovsky leads, as you say. So they're smart signings. They're a good age, versatile players. Roberts can play down the right. Collins can play right back. Corney can play down the left or on the right wing. So they fill a number of positions, which when you have a small squad like ours is important. Um, and I think recruitment has been quite poor at Burnley for the last few years. So our best window for a while. Um, personally, I'd still like a proper explanation of the takeover itself. I think there's, there's constant background stuff bubbling away in the papers who bring it up without really offering any new information. It, it seems to me to be this sort of leveraged buyout type thing that Manchester United had with the Glazers, which has obviously been very unpopular there. Owners taking money out of the club rather than putting money in. But the proof's in the pudding, really, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like Alan Pace thinks he's going to be here for the long term. Hopefully he's right, but the flip side is when does an owner ever come in by a club say, yeah, so we're going to be here for two years, pump up the value, take out as much money as we can and sell for a profit? No one has ever bought a football club and said that. So, 
yeah, I, I, I'm more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt now that we've got those players in. Put it that way. Yeah, I always think that there's, there's, you can come into football to make money, but also do good things for your club. You know, Brentford, I guess, are a great example. Brighton too, um, and yeah, bring, bringing in three players that are going to improve your starting eleven within the next twelve months. I think every club would be happy with that. So you've got to, got to think it's a success, but. We have run out of time for player watch, but we'll quickly wrap up with uh, match previews for next week. Uh, slightly weird for Jamie because he hasn't seen Burnley this week, but we'll we'll roll with it. Um, starting off with Wolves at home to Brentford. I guess Thomas, given that Wolves have been the better team in all the matches they played so far, you'd expect um, Wolves to get a win this weekend, or do you think that coming up against you know a club known for their xG that could uh, you know quickly turn on its head and maybe they'll come to towards and, and get a result. They're a bit of an unknown quantity still, Brentford, aren't they? I mean, they had a, that good win against Arsenal and uh, good draws, Villa and Palace, and then they only lost narrowly uh, yesterday, didn't they? I think played on. And I, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I don't really know what to expect from them too much, but I know that Wolves are playing, playing good football, as I said, and um, I probably will be hoping we'll get a good result there, but I as I say, it's so early for Brentford to really see where they level off. I think they've got that kind of newly promoted team bounce. Um, so maybe that conceding that late goal will just might just knock a bit out of them, and maybe they're going to have a go through a phase of having a bit of a harder time. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm expecting, hoping, <laughs> hoping, and slightly expecting that there will be the better team, have more of the ball. Um, and hopefully create create some good chances because we seem to need to create a lot of chances to score a goal, which is my only concern. Um, I've got a, quite a bit of a affinity for Brentford. I, I like the way that that club's run. We were down in League One with them five or six years ago, and they came up with us. Um, we had some nice dust ups in the Championship too, so it's uh, got a bit of recent shared history. Um, so it should be a, should be a good game. Um, yeah, but I, pushing me for a prediction, I'd just say narrow. 2-1 Wolves win, something like that. But um, but yeah, there's no, far from a certainty, based on what I've seen of uh, Brentford so far, look pretty, pretty solid and, and reasonably comfortable at this level. Yeah, and Jamie Burnley, uh, home to Arsenal, uh, which just screams 1-0 Burnley to me. I don't even need to see how Burnley play against Everton tomorrow for me to make that prediction. Uh, are you confident that this could be a, a good game for Burnley? Yeah, well, obviously, on the back of Monday night's incredible 3-0 win at Everton, just edit that out if we get beat um it's going to be all positive i think it's a really good matchup for us obviously i was talking earlier about how i don't feel arsenal are good enough to play out from the back if they try and do that against us we will kill them basically um, i think we we press really well this team despite results um and i think we will just get in their face and try and stop them from doing that but I really like the matchup. I'm not really afraid of any of their attacking weapons, such as they are. Um, and it should be a really good atmosphere at the serve. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one, actually. I think the, a 1 0 win over Norwich doesn't really change things for, for Arsenal. That's sort of the minimum they needed after the start of the season they had. So, there's still a lot of pressure on Arteta. He's still got the same group of players. Um, I really fancy us to get something out of this. Um, we did well against Arsenal last season. I think we won there 1-0 with an own goal. So that was nice. Um, I'd certainly take 1-0 with an own goal this weekend as well. That would be lovely. Yeah, and with that, we are now out of time. So uh, just 
thank you for Thomas and Jamie for joining me today. If you just want to plug anything, that'll be a good time. Yeah, nothing new to plug for, for me. If, you, if your team's playing Wolves or you, uh, you're a Wolves fan yourself, then yeah, get onto Wolves blog and uh, you find lots of interesting articles and uh, fan comments. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to, great to get your views. So uh, thank you again for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to, to come on the show. Great hosting, Jake. Much better than the, the other fraud who's decided to take the week off because his team lost. Uh, I write and edit the Known and Ever newsletter, which is all about Burnley FC. It goes out on a Monday via Substack. Um, you can subscribe for free. You get an email for free into your inbox every Monday. All about Burnley, like I say. Or you can just read it at knownandever.substack.com. Yeah, you can get me uh, on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Uh, I'll post most things Newcastle over there. So if you want to get depressed, go over there and give me a follow. Um, you get the show at EPL Roundtable. Um, and yeah, Kev will be back next week. So yeah, um, thanks for joining me again, guys. And we hope you uh, listen in soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.